0: For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Maybe you've heard this verse before. It's from Romans chapter 7, verse 19. I've heard this verse quoted to me as a pastor many, many times. Especially when I was dean of a Bible college and director of a Bible college. When students and young people would fall to sin, they would love to quote this verse to me. Oh, pastor... For the good that I will to do, I do not do it. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. And they would say something along, along the lines of, I can't help myself. There's something in me that's just making me sin. Now these are Christians who paid to go to Bible college to be preachers, giving me excuses for why they couldn't help but sin. So we want to talk about Romans chapter 7 today. And we're going to study it and learn what it really means to help you to understand. This is a a chapter that you need to know what it really means. It will help you interpret the rest of the book of Romans, and it will help you understand the pathway of salvation so much more. So, let's go back to chapter 2 of Romans, and we're going to study and find out what the Romans 7 is really talking about. Because if you don't know, and again, We don't want to use our opinions and place it on the scripture. We want the scripture, the truth within the scripture, to change our opinions. So I'm turning back over to Romans chapter 2. And we're going to skim through this part just to give us an idea of what's going on in Romans chapter 7. In Romans 1, Paul is writing about the horrific ability of men to fall to sin the ability for man to go deep into sin, into ugliness. And then chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Now, remember, we want to keep this in context, because again, I've heard this verse quoted to me, for people who are struggling in sin, well, they're not struggling, they're playing with sin, to tell me, back off, you can't judge me. Well, in context, that's an important word, what's going on here is the Apostle Paul is telling, here, a Jew who's not born again, who's experienced God and lived in the Old Covenant under the laws of God. And they are accusing the Gentiles of being unclean They're saying they are clean because we have the law of God. And the Apostle Paul is clarifying in Romans what the law is about. That the law was not to justify the Jewish people. It was actually to expose in them a sin. In other words, you did not know that you were a sinner until the law was given to you. And the law said to the Jewish people that... This is what a Christian looks like, or a child of God looks like. Now the law that was given is, is not so much the Levitical law, but the basic Ten Commandments, we would say, holiness. And so the law was given to say to the Jewish people who were not born again, fulfill this law and you are, this is what a child of God looks like, acts like, behaves like, in their attempt to fulfill the law, they found that they could not do it. That with all their ability, with all their good will, good try, all their effort, they could not fulfill the law. And so that was to prove to them that there is something wrong with you. <laughs> There's something wrong with you is why you cannot act like, behave like, a child of God, live like a child of God. You can try and maybe do well for a while, but you always end up stumbling. There's something wrong with you. Well, what's wrong with me, God? You have a nature in you that is sin that you received from Adam. And that's why in chapter 2 he says, you're inexcusable, old man. This is not talking to the pastor or the preacher or to you. This is talking to an unsaved Jewish man who felt redeemed and justified because of the law but yet inside of him was a sin nature that was exactly inside of the gentile that he was judging saying those dirty dogs they're useless they're they're sinners and Paul is saying to them don't hide behind the laws to say you are justified because the law was not given to you to justify you it was given to you to prove to you that you needed a savior, that you had something working in you called the nature of sin, and it was stopping you from performing to acting to living as a, a truly holy, humble person of God. And because you have a sin nature, you're destined for hell. So then, because of that, you should cry out for a savior. Oh, and then God was going to send them a savior to the Jews first, so then, because of that, he can send the Savior to the whole world. And this is, I'm just wrapping up uh, the book of Romans for us, just so we can work our way to chapter 7. And I'm trying not to get too specific on a lot of these verses. But this is the crux of it, that you're not a child of God because you're born a Jew. That what makes you a child of God is that you have a new nature. And what allows you to, to be holy is that new nature. Now, a lot of Christians in my past have fought hard to justify sin in their life. And I'm not talking about struggling with sin and, and overcoming sin and getting stronger against sin and putting it down. I'm talking about people who feel that they're free. I'm free. I'm not under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. I'm not under the law, preacher, so quit telling me to live holy. And they're confusing the law with holiness. Holiness is because of our new nature. And we don't need a law outwardly to tell us anymore, because the law is written in our heart. In fact, let's read here in Romans chapter 2. Remember, we're working our way to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 2. We will start in verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law, will be judged by the law. So he's here, remember, he's telling the unsaved Jew that your law is not your savior. For not the hearer of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law "...by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bears witness between themselves, their thoughts, accusing and excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of man by Jesus Christ according to the gospel." So he's telling the Jewish man... That a Gentile who has not been raised under the law, has no outward advice, requirements of the law, was actually living by the law written in their heart. This is talking about holiness. Because they listened to the conscience of their new nature, they were able to walk and choose holiness. And the thing that kept them from holiness, the thing that trapped them, that they were handcuffed to, Before was the sin nature. And you Jew under the law who's not born again have that same sin nature. The law was not given to you to justify you. It was given to you to prove to you that you needed help to get free from that sin nature. You needed a savior. Let's just keep going. We're going to go to chapter 5. And we're going to read verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him to come. So, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, where there is no law. So this is a detailed example explanation of why the law was given to the Jews. One of the reasons was because in them was sin, but they didn't know it. The Gentiles lived for thousands of years and didn't realize they were sinners. Well, God picked the Jewish people, separated them, so that He could use them to bring the Savior through them, And because he was bringing the Savior through them, he used them to give them the law to prove to them that they were sinners, just like the rest of the world. But he was going to send the Savior to them first, through them. That's why it says to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. That he was going to send the Savior to them. So the law was given. The law was given not to justify a person, say, look how good I am, God. Because I've kept the law. The law was given to prove that you needed a Savior. Now that you are born again, you have the ability towards holiness. Now the law here, I'm I'm not talking about legalism like the we don't have to sacrifice lambs anymore. We don't have to build altars. We don't have to regulate our diet by uh, Jewish laws. No pork, no shrimp, that kind of thing. The law was given to prove to man, the Jewish people, that you needed a savior so that you can take out that old nature of sin and replace it with a new nature of life. And once that old nature of sin is gone, you're no longer trapped to sin anymore. You're no longer bound to sin. You're free to live in holiness. So if you ever hear someone quote some of these verses that we talked about to justify living in unholiness, then you know they're confusing the verses to feed their flesh. Oh, I can't help it. I have to sin for the good that I do. I do not want, I don't do, I know to do good, but I, I just can't do it. And you know, the things I know not to do, I end up doing those things. And you know, I'm just a a dirt and rotten sinner saved by grace, and thank God I'm not under the law. And what they're trying to say is, I no longer have to regulate my life. I'm allowed to let my flesh run rampant, and God still loves me. Yes, God loves you. He loves everyone. And in your worst condition, before you were saved, He loved you, but He doesn't love you anymore now that you're holy or pursuing God. So yes, He loves you, and that's a good revelation to have, that God loves you no matter what. But it is not licensed for us to live in unholiness, to allow unholiness in our life and to allow it to run rampant. And so that's why we want to tackle Romans chapter 7. Once I learned what it basically meant, it's one of my favorite chapters to unfold. Romans chapter 7 is much like Romans chapter 2, where he is talking to an unsaved Jewish man. Now, unsaved Jewish man has been raised in his family in generations before him to live under a law of God, regulations. They had 613 Levitical laws, which regulated everything they did, and then, of course, the Ten Commandments. And they lived by those laws. And they would sacrifice the lambs and go through the feasts and go through all the rituals with the high priest and the priests, but they weren't born again. So in romans there are chapters speaking to the christian and there are chapters speaking to the jewish man who's not born again because some of these people had to make that transition to let go of the old covenant the old way to walk with jesus under the new testament under the new walk with god which is i now have a new nature in me so let's read in chapter seven this is such an important chapter. I hope you enjoy this today. It's such an important chapter for us to have a good grasp of what he's trying to say. We're going to go through chapter 7 and come across the verse where where someone says, the good that I do, I just can't do it. But the evil that I will not to do, I ended up doing it. We're going to come travel that far. So Romans chapter 7, verse 1. I hope you enjoyed this. I'm so excited. This is so important for you to have a, a good understanding of. Or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law. So that gives you a glimpse of who chapter 7 is written to, those who know the law. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So again, unsaved person, unsaved Jewish man, who's living by the law but still has the nature of sin in him. And he says, the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For a woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. So now he's quoting laws in the Old Covenant that a woman is bound by the law to her husband once they get married. To her husband as long as he lives. As we read this, I want you to understand he's not he's not jumping right to marital advice here he's using one law under the old covenant to help them to see what laws are for he's picked the the marriage law the law that says a woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives and that's a good understanding of marriage but if the husband dies she's released from the law of her husband so now he's saying that there is one way to get past the law, where the law no longer regulates her. If she marries a man, she is regulated by the law of marriage, that as long as he lives, then uh, she's bound to him. But if he dies, the law no longer holds her to that. She's released from the law, uh, the law of her husband, because he's dead. In some cultures, it's easier to kill your spouse than to Divorce your spouse. So then, if while her husband lives, so now, but if her husband's alive, and she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. Now, we're not going to get into marital advice here, but he's not talking about marital advice. He's using the Old Testament law to show them how a law works. So, if while her husband lives, she marries another Uh, another man uh, should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress. Though she marries another man. So if a woman, he's using the Old Testament law here, to help us to see how a law works. That if she's married to a man, and he you know, some poor woman I know uh, gets tricked. I have one friend that we love, and uh, we love both of them, but she married a boy. He came into her life when she was a teenager, and he said, I want to marry you, and she said, I'm not going to marry you. I, I need a church boy. So he went to church for two years, held her hand, and eventually she married him. And the day after they got married, he never went to church again. For It was 20 years of her praying and putting up with him for him to uh, come and get saved and go to church. And he told her, I fooled you, I lied, I tricked you. I know a few people that that's happened to. But now you're married to me, so you're stuck with me. She prayed that sucker all the way around to being a great man of God, a wonderful man. But it took 20 years. So, let's say the woman here gets married to a man who's ugly. He starts off handsome, and then he lets himself go and he's rude, he's crude, he's selfish. Well, she's married to him. Listen, be careful who you marry. And uh, and so she's married to this guy, and he's just not what she wants anymore. And there's someone over here. Oh, he's handsome. He's nice. Uh, look at him. So she starts to long for him because her husband's a dud, and she wants the, the husband that's nice. And it says, by law, she's not allowed to just switch and trade husbands, or she would be called an adulteress. But if the first husband dies, then she'd be free to marry the other husband and be okay. So the imagery here is you've got a woman who marries a man and doesn't want to stay married to him after a while, and then she finds another man. It'd be similar to, oh, someone in church, their husband doesn't go to church anymore, backslides and is mean and selfish. And then there in church is someone who loves God and is a gentleman. And she can like him, but she's not allowed to pursue him or marry him or let that cultivate Because by law, she's married to the first husband. So the example here in Romans 7 is that, and again, he's not talking, the message here is not about marriage. The message here is about law. And he's using the marital law as an example of how a law works. That by law, if she's married to one man, even if she finds out she doesn't like him anymore, then she's not allowed by law to legally divorce him to go marry another. There are reasons in scripture for divorce. We're not going to get into that. She's not allowed to divorce him and marry another. Otherwise, she would be called an adulteress. But if that first husband dies then the law frees her up to go marry another. Now, this is the imagery of what Paul is writing here. Verse 3, So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, so now he's, he's bringing that example into his teaching you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be be married to another. Well, let me just read this, and then I'll explain it. Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you, talking about you, the Jewish man under the law, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law, through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Verse 4 again. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law, through... The body of Christ. So through the body of Christ, you become dead to the law. I'm going to explain this in a minute. That you may be married to another. Who am I married to? Who's the other one that I'm married to? To him who was raised from the dead. That you should bear fruit to God. So we know from our tradition of Jesus taking sin into himself on the cross that uh, his vestige was marred more than any other man. Meaning that on the cross, the Lamb of God, Jesus, took into His body every sickness, every disease, every ugliness, every sin, everything that the first Adam brought into this world with his sin, Jesus the Lamb took into Himself while He was on the cross. And then we know that Jesus the Lamb died and went to hell for three days, died, and was resurrected in newness of life, and that is how we were born again. So, the example that Paul is saying here is that you, the Jewish man, the Jewish person under the law, not saved, are married to the law. You're married by the law to a nature of sin, that you have in you a nature of sin, you have in you a a nature of uh, darkness and that nature is, the law shows you that you're married to it. You're married to that sin nature. And God could not just give you a new nature and say, oh, hey, I got a better nature for you now. Let's just move on over because then it would be similar to a wife leaving her husband to marry an, another man. She would be called an adulteress. That's illegal. So God legally had to make a way for the Jewish man under the law to get free from the old nature of sin so that he could be receive and become married to the new nature of righteousness. So therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ means... That you had an old nature of sin that you were married to. There was no legal way for God to fix you. There was no legal way for you to have an intimate relationship with God. You were The law proved to you that you were married to a nature of sin. And what did Jesus do? But on the cross, he took sin into himself and he became sin. He became that sin nature, if you want to put it that way, he became your first husband. He became that husband of sin. And on the cross, Jesus took into him the sin of of uh, child molestation, the sin of adultery, the sin of uh, uh, murder, the sin of abuse, every ugly sin you can think of. The worst of the worst, Jesus took into himself and became that so that he could take it to hell and then leave it there. And then he was resurrected in newness of life. And that's what this means, that through the body of Christ, Jesus became that ugly husband that you were married to. He became that ugly husband, your first husband, the husband of the sin nature. He became that, and you didn't want to have him anymore. He became that nature of sin. He became sin so that you could be free from sin. Jesus became sin. He became that ugly husband. Uh, Look over in 2 Corinthians, just for one second. In chapter 5, in verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now back to Romans chapter 7. So Jesus became sin. He became as your sin nature. He became as that ugly husband, the first husband. And you couldn't shake Him. You couldn't get rid of Him. There was no legal way for God to do that, except if He died. And what did Jesus do? But He died. He died as that sin. He became sin, and then he died. And then once he died, we know that he was resurrected from the dead. So what happens here in chapter 4? That you may be married, therefore my brethren, or sorry, verse 4, chapter 7. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. To who? "...to Him who was raised from the dead." So, Jesus became our first husband when He became sin, when God made Him sin for us. And then He died. And when He died, that freed us from the sin nature, our first husband. Then, who do we want to marry? But Jesus was resurrected. We marry Him now, a new uh, Jesus who's resurrected from the dead. And it's all symbolic to show you what happened when you were born again was legal. That Jesus actually became that sin so that he could die. And then him being resurrected allowed you a legal path for you to get free from the old nature and to be married and and receive a new nature, the nature of Christ. You're born again now because of Jesus did, and it's legal. It's legally done. It's not just a choice. God didn't just choose to fix you. If you want to know why it took so long for Jesus to come, why God had to do all these things, it's because legally He had to make it legal for you to be born out of the family of Adam and born as a child of God. Verse 4 again, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, this is talking about before you were saved, talking to the Jewish man, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So the law came to show, to arouse or to expose that we had sinful passions working in us. We had a nature of sin working in us. If you are not born again, you have a nature of sin in you. You are born with that nature. You must be born again. But now you have been delivered, verse 6, from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Again, he's not talking about holiness here in the, in the idea that, hey, I'm free from the law, I can live in sin, and God still loves me. Yes, He still loves you, but you don't love Him. And you're going to walk away from God. But holiness is obeying and listening to that new nature in you that allows you to walk it out and overcome the outward man. What shall we say then, verse 7, is the law sin? Certainly not. Not On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness until the law said, you shall not covet. But sin, taken opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. And the explanation here is that the law simply made you realize that you had something in you that was pushing you to sin. And that's why you had desires to sin. And that's why you couldn't help it. The law proved that to you by telling you not to do it. And when you found out, before then, you didn't know anything was wrong. But when the law said, don't do this, don't covet, I found out that I had a hard time resisting it. I I couldn't stop it. Because you had a nature in you of sin. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So I was free, everything was great, until the law came and showed me that I was a sinner. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. So it was supposed to bring me to God, the law was showing me how to be a child of God, but it brought death to me because I could not do it. Again, remember who he's talking to, an unsaved Jewish man under the law. And Paul here is explaining the frustration with trying to fulfill the law without being born again. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me, through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Again, he's talking here about the law, which was to be good, it didn't make death in me, it exposed in me that death was in me, that sin was in me, because I had a nature of sin. All of this is talking about you, before uh, you were saved, you had a nature of sin in you, and that nature of sin is what locked you into going to hell, that nature of sin is what produced in you the desire to sin and pushed you to sin when you couldn't when you knew not to, you couldn't help it. This is talking to an unsaved Jewish man, not to the believer. If someone wants to quote out of Romans seven and say, Yeah, that's me, then you say, No, are you a Jewish man under the law? Then it's not talking to you. For we know, verse 14, that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, sold under sin by Adam. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Remember, he's talking out of the heart of a a Jewish man who wants really to do good and obey the law of God, but can't seem to make himself do it. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. These these verses have been quoted to me so many times. Oh, pastor, I didn't mean to do it. If I don't do it's no longer I do it, it's the sin that dwells in me. had one friend of mine, he was a good young man, a good looking young man. And uh, he ended up in the wrong place one night, and in a, in a situation. And I remember him telling me, Pastor Allen, I really tried to resist. And uh, she was just so beautiful. And I t- even told God, I said, God, I'm going to go into your house and we're going to watch a movie. And I'm asking you to give me strength to make it through the night. Lord, help me to make it through the night. And he looked at me in my eyes, and he said, "Pastor Alan, the Lord let me down." He said, "The Lord failed me." He said, "But it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me." And him, i have heard him, "Said you idiot, what do you want God to do? Knock you on the head while you're on the couch and translate you to your car?" I said, you know, "He was blaming God for not helping him to stay pure." We take verses so out of context sometimes. He's talking here to an unsaved Jewish man, not to a Christian. A Christian cannot use these verses. But now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform... What is good I do not find for the good that I will to do I do not do but the evil I will not to do that I practice for if I do what I will not to do it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me I find then a law that evil is present in me the one who wills to do good verse 21 is telling you the whole point of the law that I find then. ...than a law, that evil is... I found by the law, by the law that God gave to the Jewish man unsaved, I discovered that I have in me evil, a nature of sin that is trying to push me and will not release me to live holy and live after God. Once you have a new nature, you cannot hide behind this verse, because that nature of sin is gone. You were set free from sin because you were born again. doesn't mean you don't struggle with it, because you still have a flesh. I don't want to bring any uh, condemnation feelings on anyone who's struggling. I want you to be brave, ask for forgiveness, thank God for the blood of Christ, and get back up and pursue holiness, and do it again. And that's why we keep praying in tongues, and we keep fasting and worshiping and reading the Word, because we're determined that sin will not rule our life anymore. We're determined that God has given me the ability to be holy because He gave me the nature of holiness, the nature of righteousness. I no longer have a nature of sin that has condemned me to be a sinner. I am no longer justified in practicing sinful habits anymore. Verse 21, again, talking to the Jewish man who is not born again, but under the law. I find then a law is pr- that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. It's talking about his him, his natural man, or his who he is. I, Alan, want to do good according to me. Like I want to do this. I delight in the law of God. I want to please God. I want to live for God. Again, still an unsaved Jewish man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So I have a, a nature of sin in me that is resisting and pushing me to sin and not live under the law of holiness. Again, unsaved men. O oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from the body of death? The body of death is not talking about your natural man. Your flesh is talking about the old nature. This is the sin nature. Who is going to deliver me from this sin, this body of sin, this sin nature that is in me, this evil that is in me? Who is going to deliver me from it? This is the point of the law, to bring the Jewish man, and when I say man, I mean the Jewish people, Who are under the law, given the law, the Gentiles were not given the law. The Jewish people who are given the law to come to the point where they will see that they have a nature of sin on them and cry out, Oh God, I need deliverance. This isn't a deliverance like a Pentecostal church where you go to the altar and they cast the devil. This is talking about the nature, a very core nature that you were born with? Who, God, is going to deliver me from this nature, this body of sin, this nature of sin? Who is going to... How is that even possible? Jesus put His hand up. He said, I will become sin. I'll become that sin. And then I will give my life up so that you don't have to stay there. When a Christian says... I'm allowed to live in sin. I'm allowed to play with sin. That's I'm free from the law. They are diluting what Jesus did. He became sin. The thing he never experienced, the thing he never gave into his whole life, he allowed God to place it in him and on him. He became sin. He said, I'll become sin for you, and then I'll die for you. But then I'll be resurrected for you. And you can follow me into death and back into resurrection. Let me pause there. I'm going to just go real quick to Romans chapter 6. This is such a good understanding to begin to get in your heart. Romans chapter 6. Verse, oh, what shall we see? Verse 3 and 4. We'll start with those ones. Oh, do you not know that as many of, of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism in the death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that the our old man, this is old nature, was crucified with Him, that the body of sin, talking about that sin nature, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Romans 7 is just talking to it in the mind of an unsaved Jewish man, the same thing we just read. Jesus became sin, then He died. I, when I asked Jesus in my heart, followed Him into that death, and was able to legally, just like the first husband died, I'm legally now to marry another, so I'm legally now allowed by law to be resurrected in life and follow Jesus into the newness of life. I am born again. Sin no longer has power over me. I am free from sin. You may struggle with sin, and your struggle with sin is a healthy thing in the sense that you know that you don't accept it anymore. So if you're struggling, good for you. At least you're not accepting it and saying, ah, this is who I am. I'm free from the law. People who say that do not understand the scripture. Watch out for what else they teach you. If any preacher tells you that and tells you that you're free to sin, then I need you to run away from them because everything else they tell you could be poisoned as well. They always say that you don't kill a rat with uh, 100% poison. You take 99% of good cheese, and you put 1% poison. And it's always that 1% of poison that kills the rat. Well, I don't want you to be poisoned by wrong thinking and wrong teaching. You need to be smart and press into truth. Let the Holy Ghost teach you truth, and learn to trust the inner man that you have to lead you in the truth. If you ever listen to a preacher, myself, or anyone share something with you and you feel your inner man jump out of fear or anger, like, whoa, that's not true, you're allowed to say, I don't have to swallow that because I don't believe it yet. You're allowed to know truth for yourself. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, there it is, Jesus put his hand up and said, Oh, I will deliver you. I will become sin for you. And I will die for you. And then I'll be resurrected for you. And you will be legally allowed to follow me into death and legally allowed to follow me into resurrection. Meaning you are no longer a child of sin. You no longer have the nature of sin in you. You are now a child of God with the nature of God in you. You're a child of light. You're a child of righteousness. And you are free to walk in it. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And then chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, now he's talking to the born again Christian. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This term condemnation, uh it's preached okay when someone says, you know, if you fall to sin and you, you feel bad after you repent, that's just condemnation. That's okay to say that that's true. You know, if you've repented of something and are changed and washed in the blood, you don't need to feel like a failure and continue moping about it. But in context what he's saying here, the word condemnation is more like a when a, a criminal is condemned to death. Their their hands are locked legally, they're caged legally, and they're sentenced to death legally. They may be walking around in jail, but they're basically dead man walking. They're condemned to death. That is the condemnation that he's talking about here. Talking about the guy in Romans seven, the unsaved man is tied to that old nature. He can't get free from it. There's no rescuing outside of Jesus. The law can't rescue him. Good works can't rescue him. Good heart can't rescue him. Money giving can't rescue him. Feeding the poor can't rescue him. He is condemned to live his life and go to hell because he has that evil in him, that nature of sin in him. But Jesus came, became sin, died, and then was resurrected, meaning when you're born again, you are freed. You're no longer bound to that nature of sin because it died. It was placed to death with Jesus. And you were resurrected with a new nature in you. So you're no longer a sinner. You're no longer a sinner uh, running around sinning. You are a born-again child of God. You may struggle with sin. Well, overcome that. Keep struggling. Keep repenting. And overcome that stuff. Don't stop. Hold on to holiness. Pursue holiness. Don't ever put your hands or your arms around sin and try to protect it or justify it. Pastor Dave Roberson always says that God will go to hell and back with you if you don't justify your sin. But the moment you start justifying your sin, in other words, you start saying, oh, it's okay, I can't help myself, you quit fighting, you quit trying to walk holy. The moment you justify to make a way for it you begin to walk away from God. But as long as you you know that hey this isn't right, I may have fallen, I may have slipped. I'm not choosing this, I'm choosing to walk away from it. I'm choosing to repent when I do it. Then you are God will walk with you and walk, hold your hand uh, and never let go of you and he'll go to hell and back with you while you're walking into holiness. Holiness is not an automatic thing, but it is part of our Christian walk. Therefore, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me just add this. The desire for sin once you're born again is no longer because you have a nature of sin. Because that nature's gone. You now have a new nature of light and a new nature of righteousness. That's who you were resurrected as. And that's who you married, in, in essence, legally, was the new nature the nature of righteousness. So why do you desire to sin? Where is that struggle coming from? Well, that's coming from your outward body, your outward man. And that is why we mortify our outward man. That's why we we don't let our outward man tell us who we are anymore. We listen to our new nature in our inward man. Anyways, I'm trying to not over-preach here today. Therefore, 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So you don't walk according to the old nature. The flesh here means old nature. I no longer walk according to the old nature. I walk according to my new nature. Because now I am not married to the old nature. Uh, I am married to the new nature. Because I'm a child of God. So Romans 8 is talking about the Christian Romans seven is talking about the Jewish man under the law who's not saved. And I know this was a, a teachy kind of session with you. I hope you learned a little bit the importance of knowing these verses become more and more important as, as many Christians are going down a road of justifying sin and making a way for sin in their life. And I know they don't they don't just don't know. And so it's important we let the truth change us, amen? Thank you so much for spending time with me. God bless you. I love you.